Hello and welcome to episode 68 on the NDL show. Getting us into it is Tyson Sabatelli featuring Una Rams with his song Homecoming. Pressing up on me, pressing up on me, pressing up on me, pressing on me. Tell me you want me, more than you want me. You won't be lonely, yeah. you won't be You can be the one that I need when the lights down. Caught chillin' on E, but the lifestyle Callin' on, callin' on me, what you want now? I can be the man of the moment, no more yeah. Figure my vibe and my girl and my core yeah, yeah. I keep my homies on decisions when I make a move yeah. I keep it rolling like precision, life is different too yeah, yeah. Sleeping angel words to Kanye and Talisa too You live through me, I got these vices I'll be ditching too I pray to God at noon, I pray for better news I pray you make it home to mama, I'ma hit you soon I really missed you so let's talk It's been raining 14 days and it don't look like it will stop And I think I got a better situations with my dogs And I finally fell in love, just not with you like how we thought this shit would end Closely, let me feel your body on me. Got my heartbeat racing with you. Pressing up on me, pressing up on me, pressing up on me, pressing on me. Tell me you want me more than me. That oven warm We bake up on some scones Step to you, put me on Then you moan Make look like making songs I'll make you sing along You got that dun 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 Home I'm trying to build a home Trying to give you ring Baby, not just on your phone I Got that TNT I'll make sure your back is blown Don't just wanna say things you need to be shown Cause a house is not a home if you're all alone I got plans to make the snow Baby, go we're grown We're not children anymore This ain't puppy love You are so worth fighting for I'll go toe to toe So hold me closely Let me feel your body on me Got my Heartbeat racing with you Pressing up on me, pressing up on me Pressing up on me, pressing up on me Tell me you want me, more than I want me You won't be lonely, you won't be lonely Pressing up on me, pressing up on me Let me feel your body is that just one more night's sleep left before we all get to experience Tyson Sabatelli's new project titled Home. 
It is true. It drops tomorrow, the 27th of May. And how appropriate is this song? It is called Homecoming featuring Uno Rams. Now, I don't know about you, but I am excited to hear this project. Perhaps we could also just talk briefly about how Tyson has been rolling out this project. It's quite enticing. So let me know what your thoughts are when it drops tomorrow, the 27th of May. For now, follow him on the socials at Tyson Sabatelli. Welcome to the NDL Show. Thank you for choosing this episode to really help you get through whatever it is that you're doing right now. Last week, we came back with episode 67, Dissecting Birthday Depression, and I was taken aback by how many people really actually experience this thing. There are so many things that we feel like we experience alone. So please do keep those comments coming. Keep sharing the show with your people. I really appreciate your support. So the NDL show wouldn't be the show if we did not dedicate a few episodes to breaking down issues of race, diaspora, and today we're getting into a bit of that. Now, if you're not doing so already, please do follow us at the NDL show on the socials as well as on Spotify. Add us to your library on Apple Podcasts and also rate and review the show today. If there's anything particular you want to know about or topic suggestions, don't hesitate to email us on the show one at gmail.com. We have merch available for purchase, including a hoodie, a sweater, and I mean, it's getting cold up in here. So how about that? We've got you covered for this winter. And if you would like to support the show financially, please feel free to donate via PayPal. The details are in the show notes. Now, you and I have a lot to talk about, so do stay tuned. This is the NDL Show. Coming up on episode 68 on the NDL Show, we get into the Amazon case, Stellenbosch, tribalism and xenophobia with active member of civil society Torek Jenkins. All of this coming up, stay tuned. about issues of injustice, race, tribalism and xenophobia, we're rarely talking about timeless socio-political issues because these are themes we continue to experience in the country. And to discuss this with me, we have Tariq Jenkins, who is a human rights defender and active member of the South African Civil Society. Tariq has been involved with various entities that also deal with state violence, law enforcement violations, military human rights violations and more. He is the founder of the Independent Theatre Movement of South Africa and is also an accredited monitor and high commissioner of the Goringhai Kona Khoikhoin Traditional Indigenous Council. Torik, welcome to the NDL show and thank you for joining me. Thank you very much, Nandu, for having me. Torik, you have been at the forefront of the Leesbeck Action Campaign as the High Commissioner. For the listeners who may not know, Leesbeck Leisure, Property Trust and First Nation Collective were building Amazon headquarters in the Western Cape along with residential retail and commercial components. What the developers neglected to consider was the indigenous population that objected to the development on their sacred land. We saw Deputy Judge President from the Western Cape High Court rule that the development must be halted and for the developers to meaningfully consult with affected parties. 
Many things have since happened, including a leave to appeal the judgment, and most recently, the many comments aiming to undermine the intentions and rights of Indigenous groups. Tariq, talk to me briefly about how the developers neglected to speak to the Indigenous groups who own that land. As cited in the court papers, one of the major concerns of a couple was, as you've mentioned, the way around which consultation was was practiced in this particular case. We basically have um, objected to the fact that many of uh, pertinent San and Khoi groups um, were not actually consulted in the River Club assessment, cultural assessment, which was actually done by an independent consultant who was um, simultaneously uh, employed by the Department of Public Works as well as the, the developer. In, in the report that the independent consultant uh, wrote for the developer emerged an entity called the First Nations Collective, uh, an umbrella group of, of Salan Koi leaders who basically agree to all the conditions and the uh, proposals that the uh, uh, development entails. Now, I think what's important about this is the fact that none of the leaders that were placed within this formation had any objections to the development itself. And why this is peculiar is because there was a two-year period where Heritage Western Cape had to go through a a tribunal, an independent tribunal, at the behest of of the provincial uh, minister. And it was here that all 16 San and Khoi groups uh, actively participated in those hearings and, uh, and voiced their objections. In fact, it was for the first time in those hearings that the orality of, of, of the significance of the history of the place was, was articulated by San and Khoi leaders across Southern Africa. So uh, we, we, we contest the, the manner around which the, the consultation process was conceived. And I think what is fundamental to the objections is the environmental uh, devastation that this proposal uh, entails. Mm-hmm. It, it, it wishes to put 150,000 square meters of concrete bulk on a floodplain. Uh, it is also at the confluence of two sacred rivers, the Lisbeck and the Black River. It is on a site where land was dispossessed for the first time in our country in 1657, when the Dutch East India Company gifted land to its employees, the Freeburger farmers, land on either side of the uh, Lisbeck River, used title deeds, and we saw the uh, implementation of Roman Dutch law to justify indigenous land theft. It is from this very epicenter that Jan van Riebeck himself established a farm, a militarized barrack. He also deployed slaves from around the Dutch East India colonies from the forced acquisitioning of this particular territory resulted in the first frontier Khoi Dutch wars in 1659. And this is absolutely vital for us in terms of not only the history of the silent Khoi, but in terms of our collective trajectory as Africans, in terms of what would have precipitated from that site for the next 200 years, which was uh, 18 wars of liberation and resistance, which dovetailed with the Amakosa wars in the East, and mm. unfortunately also resulted in the untold, untold and unrecognized genocide of the Cape Sign. And so for us, this is an, an epicenter of liberation and resistance. It is also within the area of the Two Rivers Urban Park, where The Battle of 1510 on the 1st of March was fought between the peninsula of Khoi in this area and and the Portuguese de Almeida, who was the viceroy 
to the Portuguese king, and he was responsible for the colonization of, of Goa, India, Eastern West Africa. And when he came down and anchored on the Cape of Good Hope, uh, he was uh, defeated and killed with about 87 of his men and 16 captains in, in a very historic victory, which would mark the first liberation and resistance battle in our country against colonial imposition. Mm. And uh, that battle is important, uh, Nondo, because perhaps you and I would be speaking in Portuguese because we basically uh, skipped the, the yoke of being a Portuguese slave colony at, mm. uh, at that stage. Not, 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 notwithstanding this kind of, um, of history of, 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 uh, of liberation and resistance and the fact that the site is really the beginnings of the Holocaust of, 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 uh, that has impacted on Sala and Khoi communities, um, mm. the forced removals of our people, the very first time when indigenous communities were locked off from the river, were forcefully exiled from indigenous terrain and where the notion of private property itself emerged. Mm. And so these are a number of incredibly important themes that uh, centralize this place as a, a ground zero precinct Yes. from which restorative justice will flow. You know, in our country and in our continent, we, we talk about the issue of land. Mm. We talk about the issue of dispossession. And what's so important about this site is that you can tangibly go to a spot and point to where it actually began. Sure, and I really appreciate you giving us a broad history lesson on this land because I believe not many people know and understand how rich in heritage the land is and why it is important to have this fight against the Amazon development. Tariq, I understand the construction of the development has been halted by the High Court. What outcome is the council looking to have after all is said and done? First of all, the, the objective is to stop the destruction. Unfortunately, after four years of contesting the size and the inappropriateness of the build of the site, the developer decided to go ahead knowing full well that uh, this development was was going to land in court and, and had the sword of Damocles on its head in terms of a highly possible interdict being granted. And as a result of that, we've seen the, the misfortune of parts of the old Leesbeek Channel being infilled and, 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 and the three and a half story high imposition of, of a very large building that is meant to be the Amazon headquarters, African headquarters on the floodplain. So unfortunately at this point already, there has been some um, almost irreversible environmental damage on, on the site, but certainly a heritage crime has been committed. In, in no uncertain terms do we consent and uh, would we justify the, the infill of, of a sacred natural river and system. And in this case, the infill of, um, of the Lisbeth Channel is, is, is very unfortunate. So our, our objective is to stop the destruction, to make sure that it's undone, and then from there, there would have to be a decolonial framework around which um, true and meaningful participation would, would, would flow with, with incident infected parties, especially, uh, you know, with a particular focus on, 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 on the sun and core narrative. Hmm. And that decolonial framework is what we all need to invest in. And now... Tariq, we've seen a lot take place in the past two weeks with the repeat of historical and institutionalized racism as seen at Stellenbosch University. What is your perspective of why racism continues to be so rife in that town as a whole? And are we doing enough to educate white people in Stellenbosch about their harmful racist ways? Nondu, there's a hole in terms of our consciousness as South Africans in as far as there's a straight denial of the fact that there was a genocide that was committed against black bodies. Mm. There was 
ethnic cleansing and forced removals that started not when, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the Land Act in, in, in 1910, but it, it goes back to 1657. And, and the level of conscious awakening in terms of the extent to which communities were stripped of their Africans, and it's acute in the Western Cape. And this is why places like Stellenbosch and so forth remain in many ways, these kinds of strongholds, because when we take a look at the Western Cape, we have a, a, you know, a, an identity construct called the so-called colored community. And, and in, in our view, in the view of the council, uh, this is a, a, a term which is, is often seen as derogatory. It was an artificialized umbrella term that was imposed by a colonial governing system that ostensibly stripped indigenous communities from their own access mm. to themselves, sure. to language, to especially their spiritual and inculted connectivity to resources like the river, the cosmos. And the, the degree of ethnocide was so extreme to the point where even today, which is a, a, a mother language of, you know, of, of the Khoikhoi, mm -hmm. is, is slowly coming back to the Western Cape because of, you know, certain initiatives by language scholars and, and activists. The University of Cape Town, for example, is now, uh, you know, doing uh, courses on, on Khoikhoi and there are a number of linguists and activists who are, are really trying to support the engagement of this indigenous language because when, when we lost our spiritual sites, we also were stripped of a sacred uh, spiritual communal ceremonial sense that binds us as communities. Mm -hmm. and, and so the impact of, of colonial spatial planning, the impact of apartheid spatial planning was not only just to deterritorialize -ter resources from indigenous communities, but to also divorce indigenous people from, from, from the environment in ways that they become alienated in their own terrain. And, and it's that sense of alienation in, in many ways still persists within concrete jungles of the Cape Flats, uh, where, where basically the survivors of, of the Khoi Holocaust were also a tributary descendant community of the slaves that were brought down here, who themselves were forcefully removed across oceans by the Dutch East India Company and who intermingled with the Khoi Khoi. And, and the Dutch and form part of a creolized African community that mm -hmm. exists in the Western Cape. And so there are entities where also, you know, places like Stellenbosch have also remained bastions of a certain kind of, of ethno-nationalist thinking. And I think it's, it's also part of, uh, of how do we balance an inclusive society where, where communities have the right to their language, have a right to their culture and so forth, but to ensure that certain manifestations of, of, of racism, that certain manifestations of, of ethno-nationalism are not allowed to, to freely um, you know, express themselves at the expense of other communities. This episode in Stellenbosch is, is, is incredibly cruel mm -hmm. in that in 2022, you'd have a student walk into another student's area and you know, not just physically, humiliate, disgrace, and shame his counterpart, but it is also an act of an intergenerational sort of problem. And it's not, it's not just something that lies within that individual, mm -hmm. but it speaks to the structural and endorsed form of, of racism 
that is still being tolerated and accepted in these areas and are not being adequately challenged. I, I think it, it means every time, and we had a situation, remember in the Free State, you know, university, white male students doing uh, the most despicable things to, to workers, uh, women workers in, in the Free State. And that obviously, you know, um, sparked a national outcry. And, and what's striking for me, you know, is, is again, here we have a situation where the person who was on the receiving end of this is, is showing a particular kind of empathy and so on, which, which just shows the depth of, of humanity of, of this individual, because I think we all feel the great sense of outrage. Mm. And I think it's, it's, it's when that humanity, it's when that depth is often taken advantage of and is often assumed to be something that will trigger in at the moment of, of gross violation, mm. um, I think is also something that, you know, we kind of need to consider and, and, and analyze. We don't want to get into a situation where we, we, we persist in a sort of Stockholm syndrome, mm. where these kinds of, 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 of levels of violations are then coordinated through some form of acquiescing a kind of contract resolution which doesn't actually hit to the root of, of the structural problem and I think it's it's every now and again we will see the the fissures the fault lines of these things kind of burst um, and it's very important for us to take notice it's very important for us not to uh, allow it, it to become normalized allow certain particular kind of tropes of saying well you know it's coming in from that community you know we shouldn't be surprised xyz yes. I think it, you know, do we need to be much more critical and much more mm-hmm. firm in as far as, um, you know, locating these particular kind of spaces around the country, where the transformation agenda is absolutely is perhaps not being adequately addressed. Yes. Uh, that's not to say that the University of Stellenbosch has not taken some uh, huge stances, uh, you know, in recent times to to try and um, encounter its its own sort of institutional you know history of, of 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 colonialism of white supremacy and so forth and you'd find that in that university it actually has uh, you know some of the most uh, diverse leadership in terms of faculty mm-hmm. and, and so on and they do pose some uh, uh, really relevant questions around around race identity um and 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 so forth the university of cape town has is recently adopting you know a, an anti-racism stance mm-hmm. across across the board because even though that university has has always sort of enjoyed a particular reputation as being a, a human rights bastion during apartheid, a relatively quite you know sort of leftist and, and so forth. It has also had to come to terms with the reality of the structural sort of racist and, and structural colonial uh, aspects that, in some ways or the other, still has to deal with. And I think it's important for state institutions, for uh, research institutions, and so forth to look inward because racism is not just expressed in terms of in in terms of how we've seen it yes. in, in that visceral sense with with a white student urinating on on the belongings of a black student mm-hmm. but but it's fault invisibly it's fault in the architecture it's fault in, the, in, in the in, in the structural expression of how institutions are working and and i think it's it's across these terrains especially you know where we need to focus on because mm. the human body is impacted by the architecture around which it walks, around which she lives. They're truly beginning to assess the, the, the deeper and more fundamental framework uh, around which this will generate the kind of hatred that we are seeing, uh, mm. um, the, the move towards the right, a particular kind of defensiveness of whiteness, yes. a particular kind of, um, of, of holding 
of, of even wanting to use terms like reverse racism without mm. uh, wanting to consider 500 years of accumulated wealth and depression and 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 what does that mean you know we, we do not live in an equal society in fact yes. you know Stellenbosch is on the precipice of the most divided city in the world and why mm. is Cape Town the most divided city in the world why is the Western Cape province the mm. most divided province and um, you know if you just take a look at the demographic of the current mayor and the demographic of the of the premier um, in spite of the fact that there is also a diverse creolized African community that is the majority in, in, in this province, you know, one also begins to pose particular kinds of questions where we can look more in a granular way in mm. terms of, you know, what are the kinds of dynamics that, that still maintain these, these sort of, you know, power relations. Yes, yes, most certainly. Let's also get into how South Africa is known as a tribalistic and xenophobic country, perhaps starting with tribalism. Why do we see a lot of tribalism in our country and how does it affect us? The impact of administrative ethnocide and how colonial authorities from the Dutch, the English, then you know, uh, the Dutch again, and then through you know, the National Party, uh, moving all the way up to, you know, to 94, where we found a, 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 a sort of you know, democratic dispensation to 96 where we actually adopted um, a, a constitution. We are still within the hangovers of the past. I think COVID-19 and these last two years has lifted a veil. And for me personally, anyone who wants to say that we live in a post-apartheid South Africa needs to get their site uh, examined because they are probably still living within a self-endorsed optical illusion. You know, the, the best, I think, litmus test that we could have had as a country was to see how the state and how we as communities dealt with that crisis and is still dealing with this crisis. And mm. the fact of the matter, the people who were most affected were poor working class black women. Yes. The people who were most affected were, were, were street based and homeless communities. Mm. We saw a spate of evictions going on where the state and some municipalities took a national environment or a national health disaster and defaulted its response to that as if we were in a state of emergency. In other words, in times of crisis, where are we defaulting? Are we defaulting to a, a, a national commitment to a democratic society? Or are we still defaulting into the horrendous kind of nexus of apartheid inclinations? where it's a, it's a militarized, top-heavy response where civil society was nowhere to be seen and, uh, and civil society did actively engage you know, and formed some very powerful entities to try and combat that. But where are we and how, how do we take the last two years and then redefine our space here in, in 2022? I think that, that, mm. that, 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 that's really important in terms of perhaps creating a framework to, uh, to answer this, this very important question that you're asking. The colonial authorities, in terms of, you know, we've been taking a look at, you know, how indigenous groups were, the way ethnic differences were redefined as ethnic divisions by colonial authorities. If you, if you take a look at the Rwandan situation, which I think is a, um, a, a very astute one, in the, in the 1950s, the, the Tutsi and the Hutu who for hundreds of years had intermingled with each other and have sort of, you know, some cultural nuances and, and differences. Then the colonial Belgian authority decided to racially classify these two groups in terms of physical traits 
And not only do they racially classify them, but as similar, similarly to what happened here, one group had, had slightly more rights than the other based mm -hmm. on those traits in the same way that the so-called colored community had slightly more rights than the black majority mm -hmm. during, you know, um, once you know once that classification had been had been put into the system you know we we see the result of of, of what had happened in burundi in the 1950s and how that spilt over into a a, a genocide uh, between the same two groups in rwanda where you know neighbors were being communicated via radio stations in terms of, of having to kill people that they'd been living with you know intergenerationally and, and basically having to identify them in terms of the shape of their noses, in terms of what, what their facial features were looking like. And, and that determination of who communities are in terms of the racial classification was something that you can point down in the 1950s when the Belgian authorities had made those kinds of race-based determinations. And so when one looks at, at that as, as, as a template example, uh, a very clear kind of template example we can reflect too in terms of how within the South African context these kinds of differences were were repackaged as, as a kind of ethno-nationalist division between between groups. There, there's no such thing as an as an homogenous group. As Africans over over hundreds over thousands of years we have moved in and out of of, of vast territories mm. and the mere fact that Nguni languages have cliques, those cliques come from the San, come from the Khoi, which already debunks the open land theory, debunks this notion that, you know, uh, you know, Nguni groups came at the same time as white settlers came from, from the North, because the, the, the evidence is, is, is living and it's embodied in the language. And, and so this is, I think, it's very important that we begin to embrace a very sharp decolonial framework in terms of who we are and dig uh, deeper in terms of how we, we, we relocate, you know, race science and also begin to, to really evaluate, you know, the, the impact in terms of how these kinds of formulations and, and, and the extent to which um, very decisive forms of administrative ethnocide have formed the foundations of the kind of divisiveness that we see today and and these are you know exacerbated in terms of how as africans we you know we alienate other africans to the point as if we we are not of we are not of kin yes. and yet, you know, we share linguistic traits we share cultural traits and so forth what is this colonial artificialization of boundaries the the, the state of south africa you know was formed the South African Union in 1910. I mean, this thing was endorsed in, in, in you know, in the United Kingdom. Yeah. And so these boundaries um, are not indigenous boundaries to us. Sure. And when it comes to xenophobia, I mean, we've seen a lot being said about Operation Dudula, for instance, you know, the debate about its merits. Where are you when it comes to the movement? Is there a side that you might be on? Uh, look, there's no, there's no side here. There's, there's only the path of, of, of where human rights, dignity, and our uh, deep collective responsibility to engender our mm. Pan-African self is concerned. There's no two sides of the story. What, what we have to understand and unpack is what are the elements and what are the, what has influenced and what are the structural components 
that have resulted in this in in in, in this in this kind of a completely a sad and 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 an unjust situation. No amount of xenophobia can ever be tolerated in whatever form and it can never be justified. The whole jobs notion and and and, and so forth, these are these are highly divisive traits. And again, you know, this ethno-nationalist, these are Vorvoodian forms of thinking. And we as a country are still we still inherit the memes of the Dutch East India Company, the memes of the Vervoodian paradigm of divide mm. and conquer. And uh, it's, it's only correct to say that activities like uh, Operation Tudula have to be condemned in the, in, the, in the utmost, and that these are things that are a threat to our constitution, they are a threat to who we are as Africans. Mm. Um, and, and I think that we, we need to take very, very seriously what, what, is, what is happening and how best as a country and how best as an African continent, we can come together and try and, and, try and resolve mm. uh, you know, um, this issue. It's, it's not a simple issue. It's not just a question of, of sitting around the table. The outburst as we see it is also as a result of, of, of the lack of, of, of service delivery, of, of the extent to which, of, of how governance in, 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 a, in broadly speaking has, has failed the poor working class in our country. And so we have a situation where the poor working class are fighting over a, a small amount of resources, most of which are still in the hands of the legacy. And so when we look at where, where wealth is situated, where land is, is situated, and, and the extent to which we've actually, uh, you know, um, furthered the issue of redress in ways, that are, in ways that are peaceful, in ways that are correct, one begins to see uh, you know the the large oceanic trough that has engulfed mm. you know our people it's it's so simple for for them these kinds of tropes to become the scapegoat because we blame it on our neighbor we blame it on our family member we, we blame it on something but you know as long as we keep the notion of xenophobia alive we actually expunge government's responsibility to mm. to do what it's supposed to do yes. we expand the, the real focus which is which is how do we deal with this hole in our consciousness and coming back to the embankments of the Lisbeck River by by beginning to acknowledge where the original sin happened in its first instance and then from that location to move step by step in terms of restorative justice we have an opportunity to heal and and healing is a very very important aspect that is, is seriously required in in our country, not just in terms of of, of the notion, but in terms of, of even how this would reflect in our in our legislation, how it would reflect in terms of the role of the municipality mm-hmm. has with, with with its citizens, in terms of the role of of how of how the state and institutions and 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 our overall architecture has with, with our country. Sure, Torig, thank you for really enlightening us. You have left me with a lot to think about, and I'm sure the listeners will resonate with that. Thank you for making time to join us on the NDL show. I really appreciate uh, the invitation, and, um, and I wish you and, and, and your listeners a, a blessed day. 
That was Torek Jenkins really breaking down a lot of the recent events we've been seeing in this country, while also tying in the themes of violence that accompany each of these terms, racism, tribalism and xenophobia. Now I've got a couple of questions to ask you as the listener because this is the kind of conversation I could have for hours. <laughs> what is your perspective on the Amazon development as well as, of course, the Stellenbosch University incident? Should Theans be expelled from the institution and if so, does it take away the long-standing issue of inherent racism in that town? You know, what do you believe is the best way to address widespread racism in a progressive way in a town like Stellenbosch? Lastly, the Dudula movement. What are you saying about it? What is the rise of this movement sparking in you? You know, how does it make you feel? And would you be okay? Would you be okay if you were being treated with a similar level of violence in another African country? We are at the NDL show on the socials. Let's have these conversations. Unfortunately, this is where we leave you for now. We part with a song by Pume the Artist. It's called Vibe. And it was recently released, so I do hope that you vibe with it. I am Nondu Lahuto from my producer Tulani Sejo and I catch you on the next one. And until then, be easy. I'm quite a From the tribe